Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hi, y'all. Pastor Rod, you went to the fair. Yes, I did. How'd it go? It was great. It was uh, it was expensive. Did you ever Fruity great. Pebbles pickle? At four of them. Did you? Yeah. You would not still be here today if that was the Contrary case. Contrary to your advice, I took it and it was made. No, I didn't have any of that. I did have the, uh, is it Biscoff? Biscoff, yeah. It's a Biscoff dipped, uh, no, cheesecake, <laughs> dipped cheesecake with Biscoff flavoring toppings. It's got all that stuff in it somewhere. It was amazing. Yeah probably life-changing yeah i was born again again i've heard (laughs) hey we just preached on that on sunday um it had nothing to do with biscoff there's a born again again though so (laughs) already born again and now extra born again well we are in colossians which is talking about uh not insisting on you know a superlative level of christianity of like a special level of i reached it (laughs) i saw biscoff biscoff had me biscoff cheesecake those biscoff cookies are good though i don't know which airline it is that supplies them when you fly with them but they're it's they're good delta yeah Costco would sell like the big box full of them recently. I don't like them enough to buy them. Yeah, but they are delicious. Like they when are. I have them. I'm not sad about it. Right. But I wouldn't go out of my way. And I wonder how much we enjoy them because we're on a plane and it's like, please just give me anything to get the plain taste out of my mouth. Uh, it's, that's not for me. I no, mean, not for me. I, I I like the flavor. They're nice. Oh, well, you fly on the bougie seats, so you get like the like filet mignon yeah. and everything else well, like that. You know. Yeah. So when I ask for like, hey, give me what the you know the the normal people are having. Yeah, the I plebs. Wanna, I know what it was. I want to know what it feels like to be one of those people. Yeah. Then, well, so feels... I drink my wine to clear my palate, and then I have a biscoff. Yeah. 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 Well, hey, let's uh, let's riff a little bit about what's going on in uh, in Israel. Um, I think that's uh, no firsthand knowledge an evergreen. (laughs) Well, that's good. Um, I think that's an evergreen subject for us right now. These days, even if you listen to the briefing, Moeller talked about it on uh, yesterday's episode on Tuesday morning. He said, Hey, this is something that is not going to be a note or a footnote in 2023, but this has something that is uh, potentially going to change the landscape for uh, the geopolitical scene for, for years and years and years to come. Um, this is massive. In other words, is what he was saying. And, and we believe it is too. And um, so does the majority of the world, uh, no matter what side of the equation you fall on on this. But for us as, as Christians, I think maybe it's a little bit still confusing for us to think about, okay, why? Wait a minute. Jesus has come. You know, the, they're not, they don't believe in Jesus. They reject Christ. In fact, why are we empathetic to or sympathetic beyond just the human rights side of things? It's been a, a, an enormous violation of even that, just that fundamental basic care for, for human life. But, but why should we care so much about what's going on in Israel? Mm-hmm. And I think we've been dealing with that a lot in Isaiah. I think we're still dealing with that in, in the sections that we're reading today and, and moving forward in Isaiah, because Isaiah has so much to talk about the future of Israel. But uh, Pastor Rod, your thoughts just on uh, the church and our care for Israel. We've talked about a little, uh, about it from time to time on this podcast, but, but let's revisit it just to frame how we should view these events again. So we're dispensationalists, um, and we've said this once or twice or 17 times before right now. We're not ashamed about that. And so we believe that Israel and God's people, as they have been designed, have a central role in God's end times planned. So we look at the field of eschatology, a study of end times. We see that Israel has promises that God made that are unchangeable. They're promises that he intends to fulfill in a literal way. 
Israel, as a, as a nation and as a state, plays a central role in that. We expect that God will do things to regather his people. We've even read about some of that here in Isaiah. We'll continue to read something about that. So we, we think that God has plans that he still needs to finish and enact that, that involve Israel as a nation and a state. What that looks like when that happens, that's where there's a lot more ambiguity. People thought back in 45, 45, 48, 48, when Israel was, was made a state again, oh, here it is. We're in the end times. This is it. 2000 years later, we're, we're on the precipice of God sending Jesus back to re- retrieve his people. And maybe that's still the case, but we, we just don't know. We don't know how many times Israel will cease to be a state and be a state again before Jesus does come back. For all we know, for all we know, this could be another 2000 years ahead for us. The challenge is that we still care about Israel's well-being because God still cares about that. So when you want to bring it down to its most simplest form, God's not done with them. We care about their well-being because God cares about their well-being. Yeah, that's well put. And and even when Israel was not an, an official, officially recognized state, as we call them, Israel was not gone. The, right, we've been reading about it in Isaiah. This concept of the remnant of God's people—that He is never going to put a full end to the people of Israel—and and that's true, as Pastor Roger said. Whether or not you know Israel was to disappear off the world scene again and and come back later, we trust because Scripture seems to make it clear to us that God is not done with his people and that there's a future for them. So even if, yeah, Israel was to cease to be a, a, a recognized state from the perspective of, of the world leaders, we know that Israel's not gone, that there's a remnant that God is preserving and still going to bring um, his purposes to, to fruition with them. And that is what we've been reading about. That's what we're still reading about. And right. in fact, if you open up to Isaiah chapter 45 uh, for our Old Testament reading today, Um, we're in chapters 45 through 47 and then in Colossians chapter three, but we open up with a, uh, a view of, of another difficult time in Israel's history. And this is, um, as they've been, Isaiah has been looking for forward, not in an eager sense, but foretelling what was going to happen with regards to the exile in Babylon. Uh, he's now talking about what God is going to do to bring about the deliverance from Babylon. And, and uh, there's, there's these kind of, it's, it's, you almost get whiplash with, with reading these chapters between the 30,000 foot view of eschatological views of what God's going to do in the millennial kingdom and through the Messiah versus the kind of on the ground view for Isaiah and the, the, generations to come shortly after Isaiah with Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus and everything, it, it seems to kind of pop in and out. You think that's fair as we, we read these chapters? Yeah, it seems a lot of the prophecies that Isaiah is foretelling are compressed prophecies. That's like looking at a mountain range. I don't know if they taught you this in seminary, Pastor PJ. Looking at a mountain range of prophetic peaks and from one angle, from the prophet's angle, he sees the peaks of God's prophecies and they all look pretty close together. But if you were to take just a sideward angle, you'd realize, oh, these things are hundreds if not thousands of miles apart and in the case of our readership we're reading these and we're saying okay this 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 still seems like this is here this clearly is there so we're looking at god's handiwork from different angles from isaiah's vantage point looks like they could be one on top of the other but from a slightly different angle they could be miles apart yeah helpful illustration there for sure yeah and so 45 opens talking about cyrus cyrus would be the persian king or the persian ruler that would oversee the deliverance of the people of israel back to uh jerusalem that that under uh, the medes and the persians uh, and ezra and nehemiah that time frame the the jews would be able to uh, return and rebuild not only the wall but also rebuild the temple and so god is is through isaiah prophesying about that now remember this is even before 
before, as Isaiah is writing these things or, or uttering these things, this is before Babylon has come on the scene. Remember, Assyria is still the, the world power at this point. And so we are jumping over the Babylonian captivity now to Cyrus, as Cyrus is going to be the one through the Medes and the Persians who would conquer Babylon to ordain or orchestrate the return of the Israelites to Jerusalem. And that's what chapter uh, 45 is talking about. Now, there's an interesting interjection here in chapter 45, verse 9, where God says, woe to him who strives with him who formed him a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making or your work has no handles? We <laughs> Missing handles, guy. Yeah, you should have put handles on me. We, we saw this argument from Paul in Romans. It, it has a little bit of a different slant here. This seems to be somebody there that Isaiah has uh, in his audience that's protesting the fact that God is not going to use the, the Messiah or use the a Davidic king even to bring about the restoration of his people, but he's going to use somebody like Cyrus, a, a Gentile king, a pagan king, uh, to bring this about. And, and this is the person that might be protesting or, or objecting to God's plans. And the, the prophet is reminding them, who are you? Remember, God is the sovereign one in all this, and he's doing this for a purpose. Verse 13, I am stirring him, Cyrus, up in righteousness, and I will make all his ways level. He's going to build my city and set my exiles free, not for price or reward, says the Lord of hosts. And in other words, I'm going to flex and I'm going to get the glory and he's going to do this, not even because I'm holding out a carrot on the end of the stick for him. He's just going to do this because I'm going to ordain that he does it. Yeah. And I guess in some ways parallel to Paul's argument in Romans 9, look at verse 7 here. God says, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and I create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. This is God saying, when it all comes down to it, everybody, everything's going to come back down to me. I am the Lord. and And it couldn't be otherwise. This is a hard aspect, a hard edge of our theology, because some people have actually translated the word calamity evil. Mm. evil and, and the word underlying that uh, I believe it is what it is it, it has a wide range of meanings and evil could be one of those applications yeah. essentially what we're seeing here is Isaiah is bringing everything at the feet of God and saying he is a sovereign one who are you to shake your fist against him as Paul does in Romans 9 through 11 but also to say even to the Old Testament saints look he is the Lord and you want this you don't want a God who's uh, a namby-pamby who's just kind of re- responding to all of the issues in life and saying oh I really wanted to help over here I want to go do something over there but man the Babylonians caught me off guard no God is in control of every single aspect of our lives and we ought to thank him for that yeah thanks for using Nambi Pambi by the way my pleasure I, yeah. you know honestly I was thinking the other day I need to vary my vocal my, my, my the variety of my vocabulary otherwise it just becomes stale yeah I was listening to Alistair Begg earlier this did morning he, say he did <gasps> and that's what's so crazy is I it God, distinctly stood out to me and God I was like wants you to realize something <laughs> it, well my thought honestly in that moment was I don't think I could ever get away with saying Nambi Pambi in a sermon yes you could like I don't think well and now you've proven me wrong because you just said it as though it was just like yeah of course Nambi Pambi fact. yeah well but Alistair said it with his accent in that yeah i don't either i'm not even gonna try to yeah yeah uh the rest of chapter 45 then the uh, attention is turned to the future again this this whiplash this the from mountain peak to mountain peak and there's a lot that happens in between but the future is the this is going to be the davidic king this is going to be the messiah and the messiah is going to be the one uh that is going to to be the one to call cause all these nations the 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 whether it's the chaldeans or the egyptians or uh the the persians they're all going to submit to him he's going to be the ultimate ruler Uh, but not only that there's going to be an invitation to these nations if you 
you look at verse 20, assemble yourselves and come drawn near together, you survivors of the nations. Uh, there's an invitation to the nations there to come to Yahweh, to come to the God of Israel, the God of Judah, and to even come and experience salvation in him. And so there's a, a, a picture there of the eschatological scene that we're going to get someday that Revelation describes as every, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation uh, worshiping God. And so even as there's the submission element at the beginning there, there's also the, the element of the invitation to them to come. Uh, verse 22, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth for Holy. I am God. Amazing. Yeah. And there is no other. And that's why we are in this current dispensation of the church age still about reaching people with the gospel. That's right. Well, chapter 46, uh, the idols of Babylon and the one true God. Um, such interesting images here. I, one thing to, to note uh, in verse 3 and 4, he's speaking of the house of Israel and he says, you've been carried by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, to the gray hairs, I will carry you. Remember, chapter 40 began with that statement, comfort, comfort my people. Here's another glimpse of where this is comforting as Isaiah is writing these prophecies. But no Notice that God is carrying his people here. Now, if you go across and you look at the description of the idols, look at verse seven, they lift their idol to their shoulders and they carry the idol. And so God is, is contrasting in a very uh, clear way there. He's saying, look, Israel, I've carried you. Why would you go to serve false gods who you have to lift up and carry on your shoulders? And so there's that, that comforting idea, turn to him, turn to the Lord, trust in him. Uh, in fact, he even calls them to this in verses eight and nine. Remember, remember, recall, remember these things. Don't forget who I am. What a cool idea here. What a cool image of, uh, well, I mean, this is, we see this even today with our present day idols. They look different, but our idols burden us. Mm. We carry the burdens of the idols where the real God, the God who created heaven and earth carries our burdens by saying, even cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Yeah. Put your burdens on his shoulders. Yeah. This whole section too, you know, churches, as you're considering what's going on on the, on the global landscape. Some of you may be even hesitant to, to open up to your news browser or whatever it, it is, wherever you get your news or even listen to the briefing sometimes and, and just feel burdened by it. And, and maybe you're, you're even induced towards anxiety and, uh, and fear of, of what's going to happen. Could this happen here? Even Mueller this morning was talking about, look, if it can happen there, it can happen anywhere and we need to pay attention to this. And there can be fear and worry and anxiety and concern that can be, begin to creep in. And, and that's why chapters like these in Isaiah are so comforting to us too, that God is the God of eternity. And he says as much here in verse 10, God is the God who has declared the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, I will accomplish all my purpose. And just like Pastor Rod was talking about in chapter 45, that includes the calamity or the evil or the bad things that we're seeing going on right now. God is sovereign over all of these things, church. So it, we can open up and look at the headlines and, and read the headlines in every single headline. We have to, to read and understand God is sovereign over that headline. God is sovereign over what's actually going on in this situation. And so we need not fear in the way that those that don't know God fear. In fact, what a great season for us to be extra ambitious with the gospel. How unstable is is almost our economy, inflation, the job market, geopolitical affairs, what's going on in the Middle East, what's going on here and there? Like It is a, a, a terrifying prospect to exist in this world without confidence in a sovereign God. Church, you have 
like we talked about on Sunday, the secret to life. You have the secret to life. Part of the secret to life is a confidence in a sovereign God who is ordaining all these things and we get to go and be his ambassadors and call people to put their trust and faith in Jesus as their savior and experience a peace that surpasses understanding because we know the God that's set the, the end from the beginning. Amen. That sovereignty is something that we revel in and yeah. you should. And this is one of the reasons why we believe in what we do. It's not just because it's theologically prudent, although that it is, but the, the truthfulness of it is a comfort to our hearts. Yeah. You don't want a God who who's hoping things go well, who's crossing his fingers and just, you know, wishing him, praying himself that things go right in the end. Right. God has all things under his power and his authority. Now that presents a problem for us as people who believe in the full, absolute sovereignty of God. It does question, well, if that's the case, then how can God it seems like do evil. That's a larger question. And we'll probably dance around that. We've talked about this over the course of Job. We've talked about it through some of the, the Psalms, which also address some of these issues. Um, but we, we can't have one without the other. God is sovereign. That means he, he's behind all things, good mm-hmm. and evil while not being responsible for the evil. That is humanity's um, humanities and the angelic realm that that's laid at our feet. Nevertheless, God is sovereign. Yes. Yeah, well, chapter 47 it turns the crosshairs on Babylon and uh, justice. Yeah, yeah, this it's is coming. Yeah, and and there's a there's a, a both and um, as Pastor Rod likes to point out, is this about Babylon in Isaiah's day or shortly after? Or Pastor is this PJ, about is this about future? Babylon in Isaiah's day or is it about the future for Babylon? Yes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's about both. It's about both. Um, but the comfort for his people would have been certainly that this is about Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar and uh, Belshazzar. Are in, in, in all of that um, that is going to come down the uh, the path in the future books that we're going to read. Daniel being the, the main one there, um, but you'll note uh, something that stood out to me is in verse eight, and then it's repeated in verse ten. Uh, the end of these verses: "I am," says Babylon, and there is no one besides me. Verse ten: "I am," and there is no one besides me. You may recall that that has been the refrain of Yahweh. Before this, like that has been what Yahweh is saying. I am the Lord. There's none like me. My glory, I will give to another. I am Yahweh. There is no one besides me. God like statements there. Exactly. And that's the, that's the key. Babylon has put herself in place of God. Mm -hmm. And that's true in the days of Daniel. And that's also going to be true in the end times too, as new Babylon uh, rises up and objects and protests and leads the revolt against God and his people uh, in the end times. And so in, in both instances here, God is going to have his way. Uh, in verse 11, it says at the end of verse 11, ruin shall come upon you suddenly of which you know nothing without uh, giving too much away from the book of Daniel uh, for Babylon. That's exactly what happened. She thought she was impregnable and her leaders thought that they were, uh, that nothing could ever happen to them inside their city and their destruction literally happened overnight. Um, and it's, it's a, a pretty amazing scene that we'll read about when we get to the book of Daniel, but God will do justice. That's right. And it's the arrogance of Babylon that God is, is really targeting here. Their godlike arrogance is what prompts and provokes God to act. And this is the cool thing. God will act and he will settle all accounts in the, on the human history scene. But what particular, particularly draws his attention and his ire is Babylon. They provoke him. And this is the thing for you, Chris. Don't, don't think that Babylon alone is going to suffer against God's righteous indignation. Uh, when pride 
when, when pride manifests itself in your life, it stinks to high heaven, <laughs> to, to use that old phrase. God hates pride. He opposes the proud, but what's the opposite? He gives grace to the humble. Let this be a good and helpful reminder to you to let no pride exist in your heart. Babylon's different. You're not Babylon. You're not, you're not assaulting the people of God. I get that. But make sure as you read texts like this, that you're not simply letting it be history on the page, but uh, help to the heart. Something that encourages you. I don't want to make the same mistakes Babylon did. They, they were arrogant. They were provocative. And they were also dabbling in astrology, not dabbling. That's a, that's a poor use. They were engaged in astrology. Yep. Do you know who's engaged in astrology today? All of us. Like, even if we're not practicing it ourselves, our culture is all about that, man. The, the, the crystals and yeah. the signs. I mean, it's it's making a reappearance in a strong way. Have you seen yeah. that, Pastor PJ? Oh, yeah. When we lived in, in Arizona, we lived in, in the, the Phoenix Valley there, but we would go north to escape the heat sometimes, and, and we would go up to Sedona. Sedona is a city in Arizona. They're beautiful, beautiful city, but um, they're all about that. They've got vortexes and crystals mm-hmm. and the new age uh, spirituality, and, right. and it, yeah, it, it, that was like a hotbed for it, but you're right. It is. It's, it's expanding beyond that. That's right. People go out to the desert to practice these seances and to channel UFOs and, and to channel other demonic entities. I mean, this is happening right under your nose, perhaps. Yeah. Let this be a warning to you. God is not blind. Yeah. He sees all of this. And this is not something that invites his compassionate response. It invites his judgment. Right. Right. Well, let's jump to Colossians chapter three in uh, our remaining few minutes here. Yeah. Don't you mean UAPs, by the way, not UFOs? I don't know if you know much about UFOs and and UAPs, Pastor Rod, but it's actually... I don't even know what the acronym is. Well, the unidentified the, aerial phenomena, the UAP when, when it, when it isn't, we, we don't have time to get into this. That's true. That's my fault. Okay. I brought it up. You I did. stirred the horn. You, you, you sent me some bait. Pastor Rod knows way more it. about UAPs than I do. I, he has I one don't. in his backyard. I'm just, <laughs> Hey, uh, Colossians chapter three, there's that old line. Uh, maybe you've heard it that somebody is too heavenly minded to do any earthly good. We I talked about it for in our, in our community groups recently. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, and C.S. Lewis and, and John Piper both push back on it, similarly saying, "Hey, I don't I don't know that I've ever met that person. Uh, in other words, I don't know that it's it's possible to be so heavenly minded." And, and Colossians three is a good reminder of why that is, because we're called to be heavenly minded. We're called to set our minds on the things above, where Christ is, and not here on the things on the earth. And that's going to change and transform how we live our lives. That's going to look differently in uh, in our obedience, in our godliness. We are going to put off uh, sinfulness. We are going to put off that that which is worldly in us and put on instead uh, that which is Christ-like. And there's the the inventories here. And as we've said before, anytime you come across an inventory in scripture like this that says put off and then there's a list and put on and then there's a list, these lists are meant for us to hold our lives up to, to say, okay, how am I doing in this regard? Where do I see myself leaning towards? And hopefully you see more of the put on than you do the put off. And when we find those things that we should be putting off, then that's what our response is. We need to go to work repenting in that second Corinthians 11 kind of repentance or seven kind of repentance and put those things off uh, so that they're no longer uh, associated with us. But uh, the, 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 the power in all of this is in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If you're sitting out there going, what does it look like for me to be more heavenly minded? How can I do this? How can I think more uh, thoughts above where Christ is? Verse 16 is the answer, man. Uh, just saturate yourself with scripture. The more scripture you can get in your, your heart and your mind, the, the better off you will be. I was talking to somebody this weekend actually at church about this, and they were lamenting not having more time uh, to spend in in the word or, or getting involved in a community group. Man, I'm working late hours, and my boss, I, I have to be there, otherwise I'll lose my job, and mm-hmm. I'm just struggling to find time to, to listen. And it just So I was talking about our commute and our time getting ready in the morning. We've talked about this before, but yeah, we have, yeah. the more scripture you can get in, the reminder. easier it's going to be for for you to live out Colossians 3. That's right.
Yeah, I, I guess uh, love, okay, verse 14, uh, above all these things that you're to put on, all the articles of clothing, the, the article, uh, the one thing that holds all of those things together is love. It's love, and it's love for God and love for your, your brothers and sisters that will provoke you to say, I need more of his word in my life. Yeah. I d- I mean, I, I'm thirsty for that. Yeah. One of my favorite times of the day is, to, is in the morning. I yeah. know some people really struggle to get up, but because I look forward to my Bible study, I really enjoy it. I can't wait to get up, get some caffeine in my system, and open my Bible because I, I love exploring the endless riches that are available there. And I, I, don't, I don't look at that as being something that I, I'm proud of necessarily as, a, as though I, I and somehow accomplished that. God has given me a love for his word. And, yeah. and that love for him is what provokes the love for his Bible and a love for his people that, that is a natural outgrowth of that. Man, if you want to get better at this, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Spend more time. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Get more of it in your system. And the more you learn to love it, the more you'll learn to love God, the more you'll learn to love his people. It just, it just works together. Love binds all all of these things together. Yep. And that's why one of the reasons why we do this podcast to encourage you. you to spend more time in the word because we love you because we love you. That's right. Yep. So, Hey, join us again tomorrow for another episode of the daily Bible podcast. Be there or else. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the daily Bible podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the daily Bible podcast. Thank you.